Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I really lost who I was and I didn't really, I felt like I'd just been breastfeeding and my body had just been given over to this other person. It, it got to the point where, you know, when you're just so tired and you really want to see your friends and you know that they'll bring you so much joy. But if you're not even looking forward to that, because you're like, oh, it's just one more thing, one more load for me. Like that's when you know that you're not really yourself. Welcome to Figuring Out 30. I'm Bridget Hustwaite. Great to be hanging out with you again for another episode. This week, we're going to be talking a bit about juggling motherhood and work and particularly the inequality that female caregivers face because this is something I have been thinking about a fair bit and especially now that I work in a freelance capacity, right? So I'm turning 32 next week and I've mentioned it before. I always thought that I would have kids by the age of 32. Like my mum was on her third and fourth kid by the age of 32. But right now I don't have a maternal bone in my body and that's okay. Um, I think one of the reasons is frankly because I'm like too invested in myself and my career and my time to myself, particularly now that I am in, yeah, that freelance capacity and I have to really work for myself, you know? Um, And this is always like an ongoing conversation that we have, but I think we see these things pop up a lot around International Women's Day, which is at the start of March. And the person that you're going to hear me chat to in this episode shared a cracking post on International Women's Day. So let me read it to you. I'm just going to pull it up on my phone. So this post was pretty much uh, recommending a really great book that you'll hear more about in the conversation. It's a book from Natalie Conyu and it's called The Cost of Labor. This post though, it says, when people ask me how it's all going, having a baby, businesses, adjusting to family rhythms and a new role, I say, quite frankly, I don't think I'll ever come to terms with it, particularly the inequality surrounding a woman's role as caregiver while balancing the pressures of paid work. This is less to do with my wonderful partner and more to do with systematic misogyny and centuries of patriarchy dominating our social, legal, economic and healthcare systems that have a major impact on a woman's career, health and autonomy. This book put into words how I felt and I would recommend it to anyone wanting to feel heard and understood. We've got a long way in terms of creating a system that supports women to succeed, period. So this post is from my friend Phoebe Simmons. She's a Melbourne-based businesswoman. She's the founder of The Blow, which is an epic blow-dry bar on Little Collins Street in the CBD. And she's also co-founder of The Memo, which is a super successful online baby retailer. You've probably seen it pop up. I see so many people buying their baby stuff from there. I'm yet to because obviously I don't have a kid or I'm pregnant, but maybe in a couple of years. Um, Phoebe is also a mother, which she loves, but she is isn't afraid to speak on the bullshit that new mothers face and especially when they're trying to get back into the workforce. So we're going to talk about that and why turning 30 for Phoebe was so gut-wrenching. You'll also hear her journey experiencing a high-risk pregnancy 
And yeah, this conversation, like it was a really good catch up because we've been meaning to catch up for ages now, but Phoebe really opened my eyes to a lot of things. So I hope you enjoy this one. It's time to figure out 30 with Phoebe Simmons. Phoebe, welcome to my podcast. We have a bit to catch up on, my friend. What's going on? So much to catch up on. Thanks so much for having me. It's really nice to hear your beautiful voice and see your beautiful shining face. I am feeling the same and also just seeing the beautiful backdrop of one of your rooms in your beautiful new house. (laughs) Yeah, so I moved into a very suburban area in Melbourne. Where are you? Months ago in Murrumbina. Where is that? It's near Chadston. So, yeah, it's like Chadston, Oakley, Malvern, uh, Carnegie. Yeah, the real suburbs, which was quite a change from being single in Fitzroy three years ago. Yeah, I was going to say because like when I first met you was like, it was literally like FOMO 2019, like that festival when Nicki Minaj played. It was, yeah, I've forgotten about that on a Sunday night, sober Sunday night at Nicki Minaj. Game that was um that was something. <laughs> Isn't it crazy though? Like so much has changed since then. Like of course COVID, but I mean for you personally and professionally, like you've had you already had launched the blow, but you launched the memo in 2019. So I guess shortly after the festival, right? You would have been in the planning stages of that. Yes, yeah, that sounds yes, that's right. Um we launched we actually had the idea. Uh, Kate had the idea in April 2019 and we launched it in October. So What a quick turnaround. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's that thing where once you've got an idea, it just kind of consumes you and you're so excited about it. So we thought, you know, no time like the present, which was lucky because then COVID hit and it was really great that we were able to focus all of our energies into an e-commerce business at a time when e-commerce was really booming so yeah for sure and aside from that of course we've got little Remy and Sean like so much has happened (laughs) it's been big it's been big I met Sean in April 2020 so right at the start of COVID because when I when COVID first hit I was like oh my god I've just lost another year of being single like that's that's a year that I'm not going to get back in terms of like meeting someone like biological clock all of that so the timing, I was so, so lucky that I met Sean when I did and we were able to spend such concentrated time together mm. like that period with less distractions. So it really kind of escalated um, our relationship. Like we were able just to do so much and learn so much about each other in such a short period of time. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you actually brought up just that because so many people felt that with COVID that they lost a year of being single or just having that social side and especially for us in our, you know, late 20s going into our 30s, like it really was a fucking devastating time. <laughs> yeah, and you really thought, oh, well, this is and, – and I feel really bad for people who had just started uni or were just finishing, yeah. uh, you know, high school and stuff. I just think, you know, it's such a pivotal time of, of growth and excitement and um, so I really felt for people in that stage. But, uh, yeah, it was – it was very lucky timing and um and essentially it was two years, right? It wasn't yeah. one. Um and particularly with biological clock and you know, IVF clinics were closed at the time and it, and that had a huge impact on some people and fertility and yeah, it was 
well, as we all know, it was the worst. I still can't believe it. Hey, like it's so crazy to think that that was our reality for like, yeah, two two good years. Anyway, before we um, kind of unpack everything that's going on in your life now, I want to start with the question that I always love starting with on the podcast and it's kind of like expectation versus reality. So if you can just think back to, you know, growing up what you had envisioned for Phoebe by the time she turned 30 versus the reality of what was going on in your life. Um, at the age of 30. So what, what, what did you have planned? What were you dreaming up as you were growing up? <laughs> well, 30 was, turning 30 was a huge deal for me. In my 20s, I spent a lot of time overseas and my focus was on my career. And so I left, um, you know, after finishing my degree at Melbourne Uni when I was like 21, 22. I went over to the UK for four years and um, then went to Singapore for 18 months and then came back and I was in Sydney for three years where I turned 30. And to be honest, it was, 30 was gut-wrenching. Like I, it was the, it was a make or break. Like I decided that I really needed to work on myself. Um, I just spent so much time working, um, but not actually figuring out who I was and what I wanted in life and what was really important to me and what my values were. And it's not that I regret that because my whole twenties, it was, you know, take every opportunity and, um, you know, I was traveling all around, around the world and, um, doing amazing things professionally. Um, that I was really proud of and grateful for. But so many of my friends were getting married and starting to have kids and I was a bit lost. Um, So I was doing a lot of work with like kinesiology and Reiki and really focusing on fitness and uh, journaling and all of those things. Um, And then it was after which I was feeling a little bit more grounded and then I moved back to Melbourne and started the blow because I had the idea to do so and left my kind of corporate career behind. And even then it was that was very different for me because I'd gone from working at, you know, high salary, high pressure, you know, traveling all around the world kind of career to uh, running a small business in the Melbourne CBD um, and living in a flat share with a really dear friend. And I was searching for that partner, but I don't think I'd really found, truly found myself. Um, and so I think that was a real blockage for the kind of person that I, that was impacting the kind of relationships that I was um, going into or the people who I was meeting um, and spending time with. So Mm. it really was only with COVID and meeting Sean, I think that I've fully relaxed into who I am and yeah, breathe. Yeah. And felt like I could be myself. It's so interesting to hear that because sometimes the realization for some people will come uh, out of a breakup, but for you, it was kind of the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. I had a breakup, a a really big breakup at 27, which was when I moved from Singapore back to Melbourne and then went pretty quickly up to Sydney. And I didn't skip a beat there. And I think that was not a miss, no regrets, et cetera. But yeah, I agree that probably could have been a time for some self-reflection, but I don't think I was mature or ready to face that. Yeah. It's only only really come since the relationship. Mm. Wow. So yeah, you just, you can't plan this shit, you know, and you can't have 
the same experience as the person next to you and those times just bring about all sorts of different you know opportunities but just having that to you know sit down and have your own I I love calling it like your own personal debrief like yeah did you kind of treat it as that very much so and um you know like journaling was playing a really big part in that for me as well and I think all up at 30 if I was to if I was to think back to kind of little teenage Phoebe I probably wasn't where I thought I would be but now at 36 um I am and I always I I always really like the idea of running my own business like I always I've always been obsessed with retail and brand um so I'm definitely in the space that I wanted to be um but it's not like I was like I need to own my own business I'm obsessed with this idea it's just that these these ideas came up and I just felt like I was the right one to go after them. But on like, you know, when I hear the word like entrepreneur or, um, you know, female startups or whatever, I, you know, it's, it's not a place that I'm super comfortable in because um, I don't think it's a role that is as glamorous as people make it out to be. It's it's pretty tough. I just remember like when COVID kicked off and we were talking about the blow and I just remember also so many of your posts and you're like, we're shut for another weekend and I was just like, fuck, I feel for you. Like, you know, because that was just, because I mean it did open in 2018 but like it still takes a while to kind of get into the rhythm of it, I suppose. It was so hard. It was so, so hard. It was that, you know, the the open shot, open shot, open shot, it made it really difficult to plan and it sucked, but it, it sucked for everyone. And at least the government support was there for a bit, um, which made things manageable, at least for me. Um, Cause the, the worst part, I think as a business owner of, in my position was the responsibility that I had to my team mm. and not financially, but also like that passion and purpose and, um, duty of care and mental health and you know all the rest of just general well-being yeah, um, the morale yeah but we were all pretty helpless and you know stressed out ourselves um and didn't have clear answers so that was hard yeah but we're up and running now you're thriving with these two businesses I mean what you and Sean have four businesses between you right like you're pretty yeah. busy <laughs> yeah, very very busy um yeah that that juggle that juggle is um, an incredible, incredibly hard one to, yeah. to manage, um, but we do it. So bringing in a baby into the work. So I've got to ask, because when you launched the memo, you didn't have Remy, but did it like, did that make you clocky? <laughs> um, well, I'd always wanted kids, but no, not really. The thing about, it's quite interesting because we, we talk about the fact that I, me not having kids actually worked out really well for the memo in that it was almost like our superpower because I was looking at this industry with completely different eyes to how some other people might approach it. So Kate came to me with the idea, which was basically to create a feel-good destination, like a quality curation of products that would make customers or people, uh, parents approaching this time feel really good, prepared and supported. And 
Actually, it was quite revolutionary because the baby and parenting industry traditionally is one of like heavy discounting, a lot of judgment, a lot of assumed knowledge, a lot of voices and... Seems intimidating. (laughs) Right. And it's very commercial and it's heavily discounted and it's just not fun. Not fun in the way that fashion, lifestyle, beauty is retailed, marketed and experienced in Australia. And so we've felt that the same could be done for baby and parenting. Um, But because I didn't have kids, so Kate was coming to me and saying, okay, so we're launching this product to say as like a nipple shield. And I was like, what the fuck is a nipple shield? Like seriously, what the fuck is a nipple shield? And of course I thought that, of course I had that question because I had never been in the category before. And so, so many parents, women are approaching this category for the first time and look walking into these stores or shopping online and seeing this huge array of products and I'm like, okay, but what does this do? And why do I need it? And how will it help me? And none of this was being answered um, by the industry in a clear, direct, um, non-judgmental, uh, concise way, um, feel-good way. And so, yeah, that was that was how we, that was how we were able to form, I guess, the tone of voice of the brand. Um, and, but it didn't it didn't necessarily make me clucky. But I tell you what, I was prepared last year. Yeah, all this stuff ready to go, which was really you fun. knew everything to get. <laughs> yeah, like packing your hospital bag, like that's always exciting and things, and um, you know, setting up your nursery, and um, so I kind of knew the things that I I wanted. Mm. How was your pregnancy experience, I guess, in terms of, you know, accepting the changes to your body and what you were experiencing in that sense, but also, I suppose, mentally and emotionally, because you are such a driven, ambitious go-getter. And I'm sure you would have been so... nothing can I get I don't know if it's right to say nothing can prepare you but like I'm sure that you would have been so um you would have been thinking about it a lot with your businesses and how the fuck I'm going to do this and you know I really want to I guess keep my identity and my purpose beyond having a baby so how was the pregnancy experience in in terms of that um well said Bridget um I so I had a high-risk pregnancy um so when I found out I was pregnant, all great, so exciting, um, all good on the 13-week scan and things like that. And then at 20 weeks, I went to get my scan and um, the doctor came in and said, this is incredibly serious. We need to take you across for um, an emergency procedure. Um, Your cervix um, has shrunk. So my cervix had shrunk from, they basically want want your cervix to be at 25 mil. That's healthy. It's normal. Mine had started at 40. It had gone down to 13. And then it eventually at 21 weeks, it had gone down to four mil. So what that means is that my body was preparing to go into labor for an unknown reason. There were signals being sent that was telling it that it should prepare itself. And so therefore, if I was, if that was to happen at 20 weeks or 21 or really up to the 26 or 28, um, potentially the baby would be unviable. Um, So it was incredibly stressful. Um, What they ended up doing was they put put a 
a stitch in my cervix to essentially hold it to be- together. And the best way to describe it, that is just to hold the baby in. Oh my God. Yeah. So it was like just these tiny little couple of centimeters. Um, and then I was put on bed rest. So I essentially was lying on my back for weeks and it wasn't till about 28 to 30 weeks when I started to kind of move around again. So it was about two months or two and a half months um, at the start of last year where I had to stop everything. And it was, I think, look, it was the universe telling me to slow down, Um, but it put enormous amount of strain on my businesses because they had to all of a sudden flex and figure out how to operate without me, which is great because, you know, you want to give your team members autonomy and to make decisions and um, and they did phenomenally well um, under those circumstances. Uh, but, yeah, it required a lot of, you know, adapting and... Um, and trust as well. <laughs> and, you know, we just, we just had to sh- change things up a lot. Um, and, you know, like school runs and, you know, like all of that kind of stuff and, um, missing out on a few things, but it, but some women with this condition, it, it affects 1% of Australian women. Some women don't have the option of having the stitch and some women either end up having an incredibly tragic experience and they're not able to, um, becomes, unvi- they have to give birth to an unviable baby or they are put on bed rest in hospitals and this happens to people like women with twins and things as well like um quite commonly but yes some women were messaging me saying that they're the royal women's for months with their legs up in the air like victorian era style you know you can imagine like dorms (laughs) of women right so it's really lucky that they were able to pick it up on the scan and do the stitch when they did. Yeah. Yeah. So my outcome, I was really lucky and it's not often, not always the case. Um, But it did change everything. It did change the way that I approached pregnancy. But, you know, my sister, who's a very practical person, was like very wise. She was like, I know that you wanted this magical, mythical kind of pregnancy, but the whole point about being pregnant is to have a baby. So just have the baby. Yeah, right. Just focus on that. <laughs> right. And I think this is this thing around um around pregnancy and this Instagram era and the comparison culture. Like everyone's experience is so different. And you see these like, you know, some women, you know, posting their pregnancy shoots and they're they're holding sunflowers and, you know, they're staring off into the sunset wearing a lace gown. And, you know, that's great for them, but um it's not necessarily the reality of a pregnancy and some women feel totally crappy emotionally and um I guess yeah mentally but also physically um and it is a huge adjustment I was I was okay um once those risks had kind of abated and I started to really enjoy the changes to my body essentially because every day was one step closer to a viability mm. um, so I was really we were counting down the days and then weeks um, to get to, I mean, my mom was like, I think we can do better than 24 weeks. And I was like, I don't know, like I've been told not that I have to really manage my expectations here. And they'd really scared me to tell me to expect the worst. Um, Just to scare me so that I wouldn't move around. Yeah. Um, But 
my obstetrician was really, really positive and the specialists were really positive. So that was good. It was the hospital and the scanners and stuff that put me on high alert. Um, so we just kind of did it one day at a time and I was just grateful that that I could have what ended up being a long pregnancy. I gave birth at almost 39 weeks. Mm. Yeah, so I the hard part for me, I, I ended up being really grateful and enjoying my pregnancy. I found the birth, the birth was incredible. I had, I loved my birth. Um, postpartum was okay, but the, the, and I was prepared for the worst with postpartum. Um, my eyes were really open um, and around the amount of boundaries that you're encouraged to put in place and um, how much you need to protect your own time and your sleep and mental health and mental load over that time. But the hard part was when I started to get my brain back into work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And I didn't yet have Remy in care. So I was trying to do too much and I was stretched way too thin. And I felt like I wasn't doing a good job of anything or being present um, with anything. Um, I was just trying to like get through um, between Remy and Tyler, who is my stepson, who's six, and um, Sean and his businesses, and then my two businesses before we yeah, before we had care. And so once much. we had care, it started <laughs> to get a lot easier because I was able to concentrate on work when I was at work, and my family when I was with my family. But before that, it was just dumb. Like course I knew that that wasn't going to work but I couldn't really I couldn't see it like I, I couldn't see the get through that that fog yeah and I guess you don't know until you're like right in the thick of it and we'll talk more about the I guess the post-birth and parenting um in a second but just what you mentioned before about the the pregnancy experience and how in a sense you know social media can be problematic there with you know being a highlight reel of sorts and it's really interesting because yeah the book that you posted which we'll talk more about in a second but Natalie Conyu who um, wrote The Cost of Labour she in an interview was talking about the pregnancy experience and how we do want it to be or how we have always yeah painted it because it is miraculous it's creation of life and it's beautiful but pure and like that's lovely but it's also like so much hard fucking work on your body and the mind but we tend to really sanitize that experience and um she was saying how we just don't like you know seeing or thinking about women working and that was just such a light bulb for me because I'd never even put the two and two together there just in the sense of pregnancy as work in itself um and you know she was even talking back to you know in the old days when women still wore corsets to like hide their pregnancy and so many um consequently died during cesarean as well and just all these masculine methods of like intervention and just so many problems <laughs> yeah. yeah this this system is really not set up to support women and this book 
oh, this book, like it is dog-eared for me. Like I Tell me when you first read it. Like can you remember vividly when you sat down and Yeah, really recently. Um I'd seen it online and it was just yeah, like literally every second page I was like dog earing and like taking photos of to send to um to send to my book club and I don't even know where to start with this book. Like everything about it from pregnancy, yes, if there is illness to be born, it is to be celebrated, nurtured rather than treated. So essentially we're kind of like these vessels that are there. It doesn't matter about when not matter about us to- as long as the cargo is safe, you know, which is true, but also like, hi, we exist. <laughs> That's it. And so our bodies are these vessels that um, society uses for for birth, uh, for pregnancy and birth, um, and the baby's health above all else is the one that needs to, or the, the fetus's health, um, is the one that needs to be um, protected at all costs. But when you think about at all costs, what does that mean and where does that leave the the mother? Um, yeah. And how can they also have like their best quality of life or whatnot if the mother isn't at her best as well you know like it yeah that's right that's right it is really you know and then when you she speaks really well around um child care as well and just how that's undervalued because it's seen as it's not seen as work because child care caring for children at home mothers caring for their children at home is seen as well, of course you're doing that when essentially it's unpaid labor so then when you put a cost to it by outsourcing it to another group of incredibly skilled, amazing people who are predominantly women, it's not valued because it's not even valued in the home. Mm. And I thought that was really interesting framing as well. And, you know, it's when this when this conversation comes down to paid work versus unpaid work. So, you know, and, and in relationships of who's going off to do paid work and who's staying at home and doing unpaid work and often the unpaid work falls to the woman and you know we see this a lot in in retail or in brand where so we love the fact that at the memo we're a flexible workplace so you know a lot of the roles that women take that people take in our business are part-time so they're coming back from maternity leave and they may do two or three or four days a week which is really great myself included and we can offer that flexibility, but I don't know how many men I know who are doing two or three or four four days. So, you know, when you add in super and everything else, it, it really does add up or subtract down depending on how you look at it. And then, you know, the fact that working women or, sorry, paid working women are still doing eight hours more of unpaid housework at home. It's so cooked. There was even like a study that I saw around COVID that kind of really highlighted, I guess, the the gender gap with caregiving as well. It was actually the World Economic Forum. Hang on, I'll pull it up. It was saying, um, yeah, like caregiving, caregiving under resource unpaid activity that falls, yeah, primarily on women and girls worldwide and data from Europe showing that the vast majority of men caring with caring responsibilities also work full time, whereas only half the women carers are able to work full time uh, largely because their caregiving hours are about double those of, of men. And I even just think of like in previous jobs when there would be like a male colleague who'd have to leave, you know, around three o'clock to go pick up the kids. And it was always like, oh, that's so sweet. Like, isn't that cute? But like you would never 
think that if it's a woman doing it, it'd be like, well, of course you have to do it or be like, we'll figure it out because you still have to work, you know? Totally. And also to that point, how many men do you know describe themselves as working dads? Yeah, none. <laughs> I don't, hey, I don't like know. You're a working mom. You're a working mom. Like I'm a working mom. I said to Sean the other day, have you ever described yourself as a working dad? He's like, what's that? Isn't that surprising? <laughs> I'm like, exactly. Like why do we need to put a label on it for women? Yeah, so when people say that to you, like you're just, you're a businesswoman, you're an entrepreneur, you don't need to add mum to that type. Like you can keep them separate, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. And it's like I'm a I'm a work, paid working mum and I'm an unpaid working mum. How about that if we want to get really specific? Yeah, totally. And it's funny, like, you know, when you mentioned before about turning 30 and using that time to figure yourself out, what has the whole experience of birth and um, parenting kind of how, like, what is that, what role has that played in you figuring out yourself now at 36? I really lost a sense of who I was. Um, and I think I'm only just getting it back. So after giving birth to Remy, I was lucky in that I didn't experience any form of postpartum depression or depletion or anxiety, um, which impacts so many other women. I think it's one in four and one in 10 men. Um, but I really lost who I was and I didn't really, I felt like I'd just been breastfeeding and my body had just been given over to this other person and I can imagine you two being like I'm not gonna that's not gonna happen I will not let it happen and then it happened you probably yeah. like, <laughs> that's it and then I'm like well what do I actually like doing like what do I enjoy and you know it, it got to the point where you know when you're just so tired and you really want to see your friends and you know that they'll bring you so much joy and stimulation and things but like if you're not even looking forward to that because you're like oh it's just one more thing one more load for me like you know, that's when you know that you're not really yourself or or the goalposts have changed either or. Um, so, so you were able to identify it pretty quickly, do you think? Or? I don't know quickly, but um, probably a couple of months in and I was like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, like I'm actually struggling to figure out what really brings me joy or the things that I want to invest my precious time back into. You know, as simple as like, going to Pilates, for example, or taking the dog for a walk or going to the movies. It's, yeah, what's the highest on my priority list because I may only get to do one or two of these things. And I think as well when I have free time now, I'm like, oh, my God, I should just be doing work. Like I have to, I've got so much to do and it would make me feel better to do work. But then once again, what else is left of me? Mm. Either parenting or working, um, doing paid work and, you know, it takes some attention and, um, yeah, it's hard. Mm. I, I was like reading through interviews that you've done and there was a line where you were like, it's always been a challenge to, um, I guess feel okay in myself in that every day I'm doing enough to keep the business kind of in pushing the business forward. And I can just imagine, you know, now it's business and then family, like it's just an added, like, how do you do it? <laughs> yeah, I, don't know. I don't know if I do. I think it is that literally it's there. I really struggle with being present and I just, I need to constantly remind myself that when I'm 
picking up Tyler from school, my phone's away and if he wants to kick the soccer ball for five minutes after school at the school playground, then I should do that rather than just like, no, then I've got to get to the next thing. We've got to get to the next thing. I read a really interesting post around rushing and how we're just constantly rushing and what that does to us and our relationships if we're not really just being in the moment. It really resonated. And, you know, it's, it is a season, so it's not it's not like it's going to be like this forever. Um, you know, everything's kind of compounded at the moment based on where we're at with our family and where my businesses happen to be at, and everyone's experience is different at different times. So, but for now, it's yeah, it's definitely something that I'm trying to wade through. And I think it's just like. I don't know. I think it's so great that you've been so honest about it, especially on your socials and saying um, like when I bookmarked that post that you did showing Natalie's book and you were, you know, when people asked me how it's all going and having a baby and businesses and adjusting to that rhythm and a new role and you just say, frankly, I don't think I'll ever come to terms with it. I think that's just so important to highlight and I don't want people, I, I doubt people would think this, but I'm sure maybe there's one person be like, oh, just be like grateful and you are grateful and we are very appreciative and privileged, but like it's also okay to feel those things and it's not selfish or anything either. Like have you kind of, how have you gone with your conversations with other people and have people kind of, you know, sprung back at you with toxic positivity or, you know, just being like, you know, just little things? Because it's it's not just that too, and you acknowledge this as well, it's actually a wider issue, it's a systemic issue, you know, that we do actually need to put a lens on. So yeah. have your conversations been? Well, it's, it's personal but it's also political. And mm. so there's a couple of different things that I can say on that point. The first is that, my experience is my own and particularly because of the way that our, our businesses are structured and my family is structured, um, you know, it's it's quite unique. You know, Sean has his businesses, I've got mine, you know, it's not a traditional kind of nuclear family in a way. And, and Sean was a single dad for three years um, when Tyler's mum passed away when Tyler was seven months old and so he has his own experience of being a solo dad and um, how challenging that was. And now he's doing it all again, but in a completely different circumstances and environment. And so that context does inform how we parent um, and our dynamic as well. When I share what I share, it's only because it's my experience and because of the world that I'm, that I'm in. And one thing that I've been astounded by along the way is the noise or the response to vulnerability, particularly the parenting community and the business community of which I'm part of both. And the amount of DMs I get from people being like, yeah, this is really hard, like, or I'm struggling or yeah, that, yeah, that really resonates, um, astonishes me, although it shouldn't, right? Because you know, it's 2023 and um, we're all just trying to figure it out. Um, It's just that I guess I have a little bit more of a platform than others and I just choose to share how I feel sometimes. And I think that really helps. And, you know, at the memo, we really encourage our community to share their stories and to be really honest and open about how they're feeling. And so it's, of course, then I need to lead by doing the same. That doesn't mean that I'm not grateful. I 
when I met Sean, my whole life turned around and yeah, as we said, like to think that I'd have a family, you know, in a beautiful home and, um, two great businesses that give me a lot of passion and purpose, um, is just wonderful, but it doesn't mean that I don't find parenting difficult. What advice would you give to people? And by people, I mean, I guess me in a sense, like I don't want a baby right now, but I definitely want to have a baby. But literally, (laughs) I think one of the reasons why I don't have like a maternal boat in my body at the moment is because like I've just started freelancing and I'm like, I'm not ready to you know, I need to kind of build the, my ground with here and get into the rhythm rhythm of this. And I'm not ready to kind of put that all aside. Well, not put it all aside, but I'm not, I don't have the capacity right now to care for another being in that way. <laughs> and I feel like such a dog for saying it. But no, you should. That's how you feel. Um, That's how you feel. <laughs> like in a few years, sure. But like right now, I'm about to turn 32, but I'm just like, I just... And so many people around me are having kids and are settled and it's, that's great. But it's sometimes it is kind of hard to put it out there that that's just not what I, I don't want that at all right now. It's far from what I want. So what would your advice be for, I guess, people in a similar situation, especially when they are very, I guess, career driven? Like- I think this the your comment around freelancing or also I guess I'd also relate that to women wanting to start their own business and I've Mm. so many who are saying that I don't know if I want to start if I should be starting a business right now or I don't know if I should change jobs right now because this job offers me great maternity leave or whatever or you know so the things that we need to think about are substantial it's you know, what's my superannuation going to look like if I'm out of the workforce for X amount of time or if I'm coming back in an, in a part-time capacity? Um, you know, what's my maternity leave structure, um, policies in my job looking like? Can I, can I afford it? What does um, childcare look like? You know, am I wanting to continue with paid work at what point after giving birth? And I think with a business, it's very difficult it's an added layer of complexity around how much you're actually going to be able to switch off. Um, And if you're a freelancer, what does that do to your income streams for how long and will that put more stress on you? I think you've got to um, do what's right in your gut and if working and doing paid work makes you really happy, then how exciting and you've got to follow that. It's what I did throughout my whole 20s and um, I just said yes to a few opportunities that I never thought that, um, you know, I would be offered and they all led me different places and you'll know when or if you want to start a family, but families look different now to yeah. what they do. Um, I mean, like I've got a boyfriend who's five years younger, so I've brought myself yeah. some time. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually, there you go. It's so good. There's a piece of advice right there. <laughs> it's so funny, isn't it? But it is, yeah, it's just a... I don't know. It's. I think it's just going to continue to be a tricky thing to navigate, and it is especially kind of amplified in a sense when we do kind of hit our our thirties and whatnot. I guess beyond advice and looking at, you know, obviously so much needs to change. What do you think is the starting point in terms of the change, though? Like, what would be the first step to make it more equal and fair? Well, I've been um, 
talking to a lot of experts there's an incredible um, psychologist called Yara Hiri who has a um, a business a practice and a podcast called Life After Birth Psychology and she really talks about how important it is to talk to your partner before giving birth around um, your values and the boundaries and the things that you're going to need to align on um, and have awareness around and acknowledge. I think that's a really good start. Um, And then, yeah, I think sharing the load if you do have a partner who you live with or or even if you don't it's making sure that you've got a network of people around you um, who can make you feel more supported um it's asking for help when you need it I don't Was think that hard for you in recognizing um, your limitations <laughs> yeah yeah I think um yeah and I think as well because you think back to like you know my mum Um, was a stay-at-home mum for many years in the 80s and 90s. And when I think back, I'm like, I don't think you would have got the support that I'm asking for. You know, I think you just would have gotten on with it. Mm. Um, And so do we feel a bit of generational guilt for that or like we're a bit more privileged and entitled or a bit softer or something? I don't know. I definitely have had those thoughts. Um, but at the same time, it's how I feel right now. So you may as well ask for it. I don't think we're going to change major social, economic or political structures um, overnight. But I think the first point is communicating how we feel um, and acknowledging that there is inequity um, when it comes to conceiving a child, giving you know, growing a child, raising a child, um, you know, like conversations like this, I think definitely help. But yeah, don't suffer in silence. If something's not working for you, know thyself. Yeah, 100%. My last question, Phoebes, is reflecting on the last six years of your 30s, um, not to compare it to your 20s, but how would you sum it up? Because, you know, we do often uh, approach 30 with caution and in a and dread, but it's been full of change for you and figuring out yourself in more ways than one, I suppose. Um, how would you sum it up? I would say my 30s are a tame, uh, grown up and hard, whereas my 20s, I don't think I had any stresses in my 20s. Um, <laughs> you probably thought you did at the time, but yeah, back, you're like, exactly. you was, had it easy, kid. <laughs> yeah, and the thing is I think I lived without too many consequences. I just as I said, like said yes to opportunities and saw where they took me, Um, you know, knowing that I'd have the rest of my life to figure it out. So um, my 20s were a whirlwind and full of um, fun and adventure, Um, whereas, yeah, now I feel like having had those experiences, I'm able to be a lot more settled in the suburbs Um, without having that itch that that necessarily needs that itch that needs to be scratched I love it well thank you so much for chatting with me and sharing your insiders so what it's been like to kind of balance um you know work and motherhood and get to the core of your identity and do it in a really you know unapologetic and frank way which I think will yeah as you mentioned like don't suffer in silence it's important to highlight and talk these talk about these things so there is change so really appreciate you jumping on my pod thank you for having me and um such great questions Bridget 
If you want to hear more from Phoebe, I will put her Instagram link in the show notes of this episode so you can follow her. And you can also check out her two amazing businesses, The Blow and The Memo. I'll also share a link to the book that we were talking about. Again, it's called The Cost of Labor by Natalie Conyu. I'm Bridget Husway. Thank you, as always, for listening to Figuring Out 30. If you like what you're hearing, please don't forget to rate, review, like, subscribe, and share with anyone who you think may benefit from hearing my podcast. This is a fully independent project produced and presented by me and on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. So I'd like to extend my respect to the traditional custodians of this land. Next Monday, Easter Monday, I'm turning 32. So next week's episode, I'm just going to be kind of like touching on some of the things I've realized. I'm 32 and here's what I've realized. I've put together a list of things, just literal random thoughts. Um, Some of them are a bit silly, but yeah, that's what I'm going to be doing next week. So can't wait to catch up with you then. See you later. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.